a little story uh, to start. Uh, Drummond's Bar, apparently this is a true story, I don't know, it's apparently. Drummond's Bar began construction on expansion of their building to increase their business. Uh, in response, the local church community started a campaign to block the bar from expanding with petitions and with prayers. Uh, work progressed right up until the week before the grand reopening when lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. By the way, this is not a sermon anti-bar, by the way, just to be clear. Um, after the bar burned to the ground by the lightning strike, the church folks were rather smug in their outlook, bragging about the power of prayer until the bar owner sued the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, uh, either through direct or indirect actions or means. Um, in its reply to the court, the church vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. The judge read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply, and at the opening hearing, he commented, I have no idea how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that now does not. <laughs> but, um, but I wonder, this morning, do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe that God can change lives? Can it can God change hearts? Can God change whole communities? What does it actually mean to join in with God's kingdom, with God's plans, with the things that God wants to happen on the earth? Now, because we're going to be talking about this big word, healing, um, if you feel a little bit inadequate in this space, if you feel a little bit inexperienced, if you feel just maybe even slightly like a failure, then don't worry, I'm, I'm with you, I'm alongside you. I even have this particular t-shirt on which Victor bought me last week, which is amazing. It says, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world, okay? So if you, if you find yourself feeling inadequate this morning, just remember the t-shirt. Okay, this is not about you, this is about him. And that's what we want to look at today. So um, Kirby's going to bring for us the next bit of Luke's gospel, which if you've got it in your Bibles, is Luke chapter 4, the last little bit, which is 42 to 44, Luke chapter 4. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the house of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying on his hands, each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and they came to him where he was, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke 4, 38-44. Great, thanks, man. That's fantastic. So uh, last week, we entered into this little run through Luke's gospel, which is all around healings. If you were here last week, we talked about the demonic and actually how Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Today, we have got the healing of a mother-in-law, and I'll try very hard to limit the jokes about mother-in-laws as much as possible. Um, but if you were to read on in your Bibles through the rest of uh, Luke chapter 5, you'll see that there's actually a whole range of different healings that happen in these different spaces. And the three spaces which we introduced last week were the space of the spiritual, 
uh, and how there is just desperate need for healing there. We talked about the space of physical, and we talked about the space of emotional. And it started, which we again talked about last week and the week before, with this passage which Jesus launches us into when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he gives this proclamation about what he comes to earth to do. And if you remember it from Luke uh, 4, 18 and 19, it says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that little passage is so beautiful. I've been reading it and reading it and reading it and continue, will be continue to preach on it in different ways and teach on it and for a long time to come because it's so amazing. But one of the, the, the answers that that little bit gives us is the answer to the question which we want to think about this morning. What is healing? What, what even is healing? What is it that God wants to do on the earth? Well, if we take our three headings that we talked about last week, and we take our, this little passage, and we just put them on top of each other really quickly, and I've got a little slide to show you, here are just some of the things which we might include when we talk about healing. So um, in a physical space, what does healing look like according to Jesus? Well, it looks like provision, actually, for and good news for those who are poor. It looks like freedom and justice, as well as, of course, and I'm sure this is what you thought we were going to be talking about this morning, physical healings, miraculous physical healings. Um, in an emotional space, what does, what does healings look like? Well, it looks like care for the poor in spirit, as well as emotional freedom, emotional healing, setting people free from their pasts, as well as uh, understanding something of God's love and power. And then if you go into a spiritual space, well, what does Jesus say that, that healing is? He says, well, it is about the good news to those who are spiritually poor, freedom for the spiritual prisoners, freedom for the oppressed, and maybe the most important thing, which we always have to keep in when we talk about healing in verse 19, is this, is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in our audience, that little verse may not mean very much. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor doesn't necessarily trigger us, but it definitely would have triggered those first century Jews. Because you see, in their reality, they did not live in the year of the Lord's favor. They did not live in, in times of un, un, untold blessing. In fact, the story of uh, Judaism in, in that uh, part of history is that because of their rebellion, because of the fallenness and brokenness in that group of people, they had actually found themselves in a place of rebellion, in a place of exile, and in a place of captivity. That they were living under Roman-occupied rule. They were living without the year of the Lord's favor. But they had this prophecy. And the prophecy said that one day, or a bunch of prophecies said that one day, God would return. And he would return to bring the shalom, to bring his kingdom to bear onto the earth, to bring again a time of the Lord's favor. Now, this was, this was profound. Like, we didn't get it, but in fact, as Gary told us a couple of weeks ago, this was such a profound statement. This is why people start getting really angry with Jesus, because what Jesus effectively says when he says that is, boom, this is the moment. And because, of course, of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, whenever we talk about healing, the first fundamental, most important thing we ever talk about is the movement of someone from death to life. The movement that Jesus brings through his death and his resurrection from a complete spiritual darkness into a spiritual life. Now, Jesus speaks about it in this kind of big term, which he often calls the kingdom of God. 
And the idea is really simple. It's this, it's that one day the promise was that God would return to the earth and he would make the things that were broken, the things that were swept away in darkness and evil and sickness and pain. And he would bring about a new kingdom on the earth. And Jesus, in fact, he profoundly, numbers of times in his life, he says things like this, the kingdom of God is now here. The kingdom of God has come. What Jesus comes to bring through his life and death and resurrection is a new kingdom reality. And that kingdom reality is a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of healing. It's a kingdom which harks back to the original plans, the original designs, the original things which God wants to bring on the earth. When God created humanity, of course, he said of the whole thing, it is good. And that is what God's kingdom looks like. It is the places, again, where God is king, where God rules, where God's values, where God's healings, where God's justice, where God's judgments abound on the earth. Now, we can look at that, though, and go, well, that's fine. Thanks, Jesus, that you did that 2,000 years ago. But if you turn on, like, the news this morning, you hear about missionaries being kidnapped. You know, you hear about diseases. You hear about the sick and the oppressed and, and the blind and, and the slaves. And you can say, well, okay, well, Jesus, if you brought about that kingdom 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a very good kingdom because it doesn't seem to be working really well around the world today. And lots of people get stuck there. But I, there's a reason that Jesus said the kingdom has come, but there's also a reason that he also says something like this. He says, the kingdom of God is not yet fully here, yet. The prophetic books talked about this future reality and it included things like this, Revelation. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things would, uh, would uh, go pass away when God would reign. And of course, if you look around, we don't have that fully yet because, as Jesus tells us, there is actually another part of the story. And the other part of the story, which Jesus himself tells us, is that one day he will return. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and gave the most incredible, profound, miraculous, life-changing life and death and resurrection that changed history forever. But he is also still coming. He is also going to return one day and finish the very work that he started if you want to put it another way, and this is how theologians often do, we live in this profound moment, which is the now of the kingdom of God and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Right? Uh, you've probably heard this story before, but it, it's the one that I find just the most helpful. But on um, June the 6th, 1944, D-Day marked the definitive moment in the Second World War. It was the day on which the battle was effectively won. There was no going back from that moment. Hitler was in retreat. The Allied forces were advancing. And for a while, uh, it looked like the battle would continue, but it wasn't actually until uh, May the 8th, 1945, when VE Day marked the official end of war in Europe. And in that intervening period, there wasn't ever a doubt of what the outcome was going to be, but there was lots of difference of what happened on the ground around, the, around Europe. And sometimes there was healing, sometimes there was restoration, sometimes there was the start of this new life beginning to bubble up around Europe. At other times, there was fighting, there was darkness, there was casualties. And the reason I think that helps me, at least, is because you and I live there right now. 
I mean, not in Western Europe, not anymore. But we live in this kind of space. On one hand, we say that the kingdom of God is here. It's amongst us. We sense it, right? We, we get a taste of it. We witness the most profound signs of healing and transformation and justice on the earth. But on other days, if we're honest, we also see the darkness. We stand with both. Now, both things are actually really important to us, and Christians have to hold both things together. And this is why I want to introduce healing by telling you about this this morning, because you see, if you're a Christian and you just focus on heaven, and you pray and you pull on and you ask for the things of the kingdom to come, you will find yourself on days disappointed and, and struggling because you will have to live with the things that still feel dark. On the other hand, if you're a Christian and you just live in the fact that, you know, this is all dark and broken and the kingdom hasn't arrived at all yet, you won't have the faith to pray for anything or see anything happens at all. So, so what should we do? Well, I want to suggest that we should absolutely push into and live into and understand the fact that we are in this time of the now but the not yet. But it's not just a waiting game. It's not just hoping for a different reality in the future. Actually, there are really specific things that God wants you and me to do. Really specific things. And the first one is really simple. It is to pray. To pray. Uh, When we pray the Lord's Prayer, this beautiful line says this. It says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. We pray that the values, that the realities, that the truth of the eternal kingdom, where there will be no more pain, where there'll be no more suffering, where there'll be no more mourning, where there'll be no more weakness, where there'll be no more injustice on the earth. We pray, we yearn, and we long for those things to come. That's what we're doing on Thursday. We'll be crying out together and saying, come on, God, please, please would you bring your healing to bear once again. And I'll come back to it in a minute and tell you some of the ways that we we do that. But before I do, I also want you to know this. We also do more than pray because we also act. We don't just pray, we, we act. Matthew 28 says this. Jesus says, therefore, in light of the kingdom, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of this age. You see, right now, Jesus' promise is that he is with you until he will return one day and we will call that heaven. But right now, he is with you. And as he is with you, he is calling you and he is calling me to go and to be part of this proclamation story. That's why, you know, in our, in our network of churches that we're part of, when we talk about healing and we talk about mission, we actually always talk about whole ranges of different things. We talk about proclamation of the good news of Jesus. We talk about baptism and discipleship. But we also talk about these kind of topics. We talk about responding to human need by loving service. We talk about transforming unjust structures of society into challenge violence of every kind to pursue peace and reconciliation. We're talking about striving to safeguard the integrity of creation and to sustain and to renew the life of the earth. You see, when we pray, we're saying, God, would, would you bring those things of heaven? Would you bring them here on earth? But when we work, when we do mission, when we 
do community building together, when we pray, when we work for healing, we're also doing the same work. We are acting, we're yearning for, we're calling for, we're straining and striving for the things of heaven to come. You see with me? You with me so far? Okay, good. Now here's the, the good bit, but also the challenging bit. You can do amazing things in this space. John 14 says this, very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. See that bit again? This is what you do. And in fact, they will do even greater things than these. And he goes on later and says in verse 14, you may ask for anything in my aim and I will do it. Do you see that? Prayer, prayer and action. Now, if I'm honest, like I'm, I'm not aspiring to be better than Jesus. Right? I'm, not, I'm not in that realm yet. Like I, I'm not expecting to see greater things than Jesus seed. I think if I'm honest, I would settle for seeing like, would be good of the things that Jesus seems. But the promise is really clear, is that in the power of Jesus, we have the ability to see lives transformed. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, as you go, proclaim this message. He's talking to his followers. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Here it is again. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosies, drive out demons, Freely you've received, so freely give. Freely you have received from the kingdom of God, spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, and so freely give it away to bring God's kingdom to bear here on earth. Feel like a failure or feel like, you know, you've got there already yet? Well, I don't, but we're praying for it. But another way that the Bible says like this is like this. You, you and I are ambassadors. Um, anyone seen the new James Bond film, by the way? Yeah, you guys, not, not, you've not fully experienced the kingdom of God yet. There's like a thumbs down over there from Ellis. What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Are you okay? We're going to pray healing in a minute. Uh, I, I, I love James Bond. But one of the things I really love about James Bond... <laughs> And James Bond is not an ambassador, but you know that picture, he, he portrays it really well. The picture of the ambassador, the, the, the tuxedo, the, the drinks parties, the wine, the, the kind of canapes and those sort of sophisticated things. That's kind of what we picture when we think of ambassadors, don't we? Well, Jesus calls us ambassadors, but he doesn't mean that kind of ambassador. See, what an ambassador really does is not really just attend drinks parties. What an ambassador does is actually they speak with the authority of a kingdom in a foreign space. When Jesus called you to follow him, he actually gave you power and authority to speak of his kingdom in foreign spaces. This space, your workplace, your home, your family, the place that you go to hang out, those are the spaces you are Jesus's ambassador. So where where does the kingdom apply to when Jesus talks about the kingdom, this kingdom of healing, this kingdom of new life? Where does he mean? Well, firstly, it's not a trick question. The answer is absolutely, obviously, everywhere. In verse 43, which Kirby just read for us, when Jesus has been healing this bunch of people, he's been traveling around this very small area and people's lives have been transformed, they say to him, hey, Jesus, stay here. Stay for longer. Stay here forever. It will be great. And Jesus says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that's why I was sent. A little later on, Jesus says, but you 
church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That God's kingdom that he wants to bring is not confined to a particular group of people or a particular time or a particular race or a particular socioeconomic group or whatever else. God's kingdom applies to everybody, which means that in every space that you operate, every conversation that you have, everything that you will do today and tomorrow and the next day is actually part of the story of reconciliation and healing that God wants to bring on the earth. I don't know if you see yourself like that. But you might be surprised that actually Jesus also does seem to have favoritism there does seem to be a particular group of people who Jesus seems to treat disproportionately favorably. Shocked? There are a group of people who Jesus seems to spend the bulk of his time with. There is a group of people who Jesus seems to have almost even more compassion and more kindness and more love for. And they are this group of people, the poor. The poor. Tim Keller puts it like this. The kingdom of God is only for the spiritually poor. The kingdom of God is only for the spiritually poor. What he means is this, is that you and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot transform the world around us. The whole point of Christianity is that you and I aren't good enough. We are spiritually poor. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are spiritually destitute. But that's what Christianity says, is that because you and I couldn't save ourselves, because we couldn't be good enough, because we couldn't impress God enough, because we couldn't do anything in our own strength, that is why Jesus came. The spiritual poverty that you and I have is absolute, but the transformation that is possible in Jesus is absolute too. You see, that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is only for the spiritually poor. In fact, who are the people who Jesus was really tough on? The people who thought they'd got it all sorted. The people who thought that they knew their answers to life, the universe, and everything. The the kingdom of God is only for the spiritually poor. No amount of money or goodness or rule-keeping will ever get you into the kingdom of God. But, Tim Keller says, it's not just that the kingdom of God is only for the spiritually poor, it is also particularly for, and especially for, the actually poor. If you don't believe me, just, just look for a minute at the people who Jesus chooses to hang out with uh, in, in Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5. The demon-possessed man last week. Simon's mother-in-law. Hard being a mother-in-law. <laughs> the, the disciples, these working-class bunch of fishermen, this guy with leprosy, a paralyzed man, a tax collector. Jesus goes on and he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right at the end of this whole section in uh, Luke chapter 5, Jesus says this. Well, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, uh, they complain to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You see, healing is this incredible space that opens up in front of us, which is to do with every different space of our lives, whenever we bring God's kingdom to bear in any space. But it does seem that if you ask, well, where did Jesus do those things? He seemed to have this incredible disproportionate desire to do it with the least, with the lost, with the hurting, with those who recognized that they were absolutely broken, not that they were all physically broken, Not that they were all emotionally broken, not even that all of them knew that they were spiritually broken, but all of them had incredible levels of need. And and I want to propose to you this morning that 
the kingdom of God comes often in those places of poverty, first and foremost. That the call of the church and the church at its very best is always a church that is absolutely focused and integrated and working in the heart of the lives of those who are the poorest and the lost and the lonely and the least. That's why we, we have Rachel on our team who helps us to work in community engagement spaces in places of homelessness, uh, in places of mentoring of those who don't have parents, uh, in places of, of like single mums who are just at the desperate end of their decisions and don't know what to do. It's in the places of education, we work in those spaces because those are the, the places where there are the poorest. And sometimes when we, we do that work, we, we want to do it supernaturally. Right? We want to pray for dramatic things to happen. This week I, I got to um, hang out, as I often do lots of times, as I just went and saw some of my friends who live under the bridge near where I live. And I literally sat in this little structure, and it was just literally three tarpaulins, and three of them live in there, and they just live in the dirt, basically. Um, and I said, what can I, what can I do for you? And they, they said, well, you know, you can pray. You can You can pray. And we prayed for transformation of their mental health and their emotional health and their spiritual health and their physical health. But at the same time, you see, that, that isn't all we do. We also act in those spaces. Healing is not just the supernatural. Healing can sometimes be the very most practical ways. Healing can mean feeding someone dinner. Healing can mean you know, providing clothes for people who have no clothes. Healing can mean all sorts of very practical things. You see, both are part of the healing of the kingdom of God that God wants to bring on the earth. Both the supernatural and the very, very ordinary and the very natural. But what about, what about the supernatural? Because I'm sure when you heard we were talking about healing, what you were like, okay, we're going to pray for healing. Fantastic. And uh, if you have been here at Vintage, you know, yes, 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 we, we want to and we believe and we have already seen so many healings. So I want us to just in these last few minutes, I do want to turn to the passage and you know you probably spotted we haven't looked at the passage much yet, but I'm going to look at the passage. But in order to introduce it to you, I also want to just introduce you to my friend, uh, Nicola. Um, I mentioned her last week. She's a friend of Laura and I's. Uh, she and her husband, Simon, were pastors in the United Kingdom for a bunch of years. And just out of nowhere, the Lord called them to sell everything, give everything away, and move to the very poorest part um, of the slums of Kampala in Uganda. Um, and this is um, just one of a tiny little bit of an interview that she gave of the story of, of healing, because I want you to see the context of how healing might work, and then I'm going to unpack it from the Bible passage. So let's just watch on our screens. So we start our day as teams, wherever we are, whether they're our UK team, Kenya, Uganda, whatever, we start our day in the presence of God, one to two hours of worship and encounter every day. It's, it's obligatory. If you don't come to that, don't come to work. And, um, and you, if you don't come to that, you're not going into the community because you can't give away what you haven't first received yourself. So we receive from the Lord and then we go and we give it away fresh every day. And, um, and we were in one of those morning devotions and We'd only been there about 18 months, I think, and we'd seen a few miracles. And I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to go to this particular slum community and I want you to gather all of the sick. Go and tell all of the sick to come to this. There's one clearing, because slums are overcrowded, so you don't often find spaces, but there was a space right outside the witch doctor's compound. And he said, I want you to tell all of the sick to gather there at two o'clock, I'm coming. 
So I'm like, oh, I've never done anything like that in my life before. So I said to the team, you know what? I think this is what Jesus has just said. You need to spend the morning going around the community and knock on every household and say, bring the sick to this place because Jesus, the healer, is coming. <laughs> and uh, I think the Lord's going to come. And But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I, I've never done anything like that in my life before. And so we rocked up there at two o'clock and I thought there would be a few people, but there was many people. And then there's like a little sewage river and there's the witch doctor's shrine and he sat there, machete in hand. You know, he's not very impressed because his job is healing mm. and he charges for it. And, and so he's watching and, and it's, a t it's, a, it's a tenuous situation. And so we worshipped for a little while and then I just, the team were like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't really know. But I think, let's just all move around and say to them, we're just going to come and we're just going to say in Jesus' name, be healed. Just pray that. I think as, as good as anything else. And let's see what happens. And so they started to move around. And it was the most extraordinary thing because everybody we prayed for, everybody, bar one person was healed that afternoon instantly everybody from a, from a myriad of different things. We saw fevers reduce instantly. We saw people who couldn't put weight on their legs, their legs being completely healed and them being strong. We saw all sorts of twisted arms come straight. We, we just saw so many extraordinary miracles. And our team were actually more surprised than the people we were praying for. Really? Like this is actually happening. Like this is, this that God is moving. And of course that led to many salvations. And and that then felt like it opened something up for us. It raised our faith levels mm. massively. Mm. There you go. So that's just a very little part. And if you want to watch the rest of that interview, it's all on YouTube. There's hours of stories of amazing healings. But I, I wanted to show you that because, I mean, A, that is the good news of Jesus going to the very poorest people on earth. And that Nonprofit, they don't just pray healing, they also feed and they house and they look after the orphans and the widows. But you see, they also do absolutely expect God to move in power even when they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And Nicola is the first person to say she has absolutely no idea what she's doing. And, and I would love for us to be a community who have absolutely no idea what we're doing, but to still pray for healings, right? I really would love us to be a community that expect and see transformational healings amongst us. Would you like to see that? Good. Okay. So let's thank you. Come on. <laughs> so in a minute, we're going to pray and we're going to expect for some of those things. And I have some things particularly we want to pray for. But let's just look at this passage for a minute. Let's just look at what Jesus did because it's no different from um, what, what Nicola was just talking about that. Okay. So what does Jesus do? End of cha Luke chapter 4. Uh, it says this, first of all, well, first of all, he, there's a funny thing about the mother-in-law. I just have to tell you, did you notice this about the mother-in-law? So Simon, who is the first uh, follower of Jesus, one of the first ones, uh, he becomes Peter later in life. He's actually married, and we know he's married because he has a mother-in-law. And they all live together, but the mother-in-law is really sick. Um, she's so sick, she's got a fever, she can't even stand. Um, and then somebody asked Jesus to heal the mother-in-law, but do you notice it's not Simon? Do you notice that? <laughs> I just thought I had to tell you that. It's not Simon, it's the other people. Okay, that's not how to treat your mother-in-law. And I should just say, because my mother-in-law might be watching. She's coming to visit us in a few weeks. I love my mother-in-law, she's great. And you should love your mother-in-laws as well, they're great. Okay, sorry, that's off point, let's go back. Okay, right, <laughs> number one, what does, what does Jesus do? He speaks to the condition. He speaks to the condition. This might seem a really strange thing. Jesus doesn't 
doesn't actually pray those kind of prayers that we often pray. Dear Lord Jesus, please may you make Kirby better so that his leg would work better or whatever it might be. You know, please would you help Ben with his face or, you know, whatever. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, what does he do? Jesus actually speaks to the condition just like he did with the demonic forces. And the reason he speaks condition is this, is you see, if the kingdom of God is about healing, it's about us in our original state, as we were designed to be, created good, then it means if we have brokenness, physical, emotional, spiritual, then in a spiritual sense, it is not of the kingdom of God, right? It's not. It's not what God designed for you. So therefore, when we pray for healing, we actually speak to that thing, and what does Jesus do? He rebukes it and tells it to go. Right? That's what he does. So if you're on, on our prayer ministry teams here, what we, we train you and we say is, don't just pray for Ben's face. Actually, this is going to go wrong. Let's not do that. <laughs> don't just pray for Kirby's leg. You actually need to ask him, what is, what is the pain? You can even ask the Holy Spirit, what is really going on in that situation? And you can speak to that and tell it to be gone. Right? Fever, be gone. Pain, be gone. Tendons, go back into alignment. Cartilages, sort yourself out. Bones, be fused. That's the language we use. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's the first thing. Uh, second thing is, um, you, you know what Jesus does? Verse 40, he lays a hand on the person. And now I can't tell you practically what it is that happens when you lay a hand on another person and what it is that seems to happen in the kingdom when that happens, but Jesus told us to do it, so that seems like a good reason to me, okay? Jesus laid his hands on all sorts of people and they were healed. He laid his hands on some of the most broken, infectious people on the planet and they were transformed. He lays his hands on them. Um, it's one of the reasons here, and again in prayer ministry, we say guys pray for guys, girls pray for girls, because we actually think it's really powerful when you put a hand on something that is, is broken. Now, it's not always appropriate. It's not always appropriate to put your hand on someone's broken, but the prayer ministry teams here will often say, hey, um, you know, what hurts? And can you just put a hand on what hurts? And then I'm just going to put my hand on your hand and we're going to pray. And then something of God's power seems to come in that situation. But then just notice 42, just notice where this comes from. You know, sometimes we treat healing like it's some great magic show that comes out of our theological brilliance or whatever. Actually, if it comes from anywhere in Luke chapter 4, do you notice in verse 42 where it comes from? It comes from the place of intimacy with the Lord. Right? At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to him, they tried to keep him. Where was Jesus? He was in the presence. Nicola said, before they ever go and do any healing, they spend hours in worship. Because you can't, she said, you can't give away what you haven't received. Right? And so healing comes from that. And, and just very finally, notice in, in verse 41, it's not, healing is not, it's not for show. It's not for magician's sake. It's not to put on thing. It is a sign of God's eternal kingdom breaking in. And as Nicholas says, many people have come to faith because they have witnessed those things. Now, that's really quick and really simple, but I just want you just to know this. I want you to know that healing for some of us will look very practical and very normal, involve doctors and will involve caring for the poor and the homelessness. But I also want you to know that healing sometimes will involve the dramatic and the supernatural and the, and the, the, the incredible, right? And we've got to do both. Is that okay? We're going to do both as a church. Okay. But let's pray.